0: hey to all you fish enthusiasts out there whether you're an avid angler or just curious about fish we'd like to welcome you to fish of the week your audio almanac of all the fish it's monday july 4th 2022 and this year we're excited to take you on a week-by-week tour of fish across the country with guests from all walks of life i'm katrina liebek with the u.s fish and wildlife service in alaska
1: i'm guy you know me from the other episodes uh (laughs) No, it's nice. We're getting back to kind of a more sort of like fish of the week 1.0 feel. We're getting just, just me and Katrina back in the studio today and have a casual conversation.
0: Sweet. Sweet. I'm excited to introduce our fish. We're talking about crappies today. It's definitely not gonna be crappy because they're beautiful, they're fun to catch, they're super tasty. And when we say crappie, we're talking about the two species of North American freshwater fish in the genus Pomoxus, the black and white crappie, Pomoxus nigromaculatus and annularis. I say those right? I hate those Latin names.
1: Yeah, that's generally how I say it. Do you know, do you know what they uh, mean in Latin?
0: Uh, nigro, I would guess, means black. I don't know what maculatus means, Maybe hand? I have no idea. What do they mean?
1: I think it's black (laughs) spotted. I think maculatus is a form on spot, and then annularis is uh, having to do with rings because it's kind of got the the white crappie. Whereas the the black crappie has all these kind of disordered spots along its body, black spots. Generally, the white crappie have the spots sort of in these bands that are kind of ring-like around the body. Now, that's not necessarily the greatest way of telling them apart because you can have white crappie where you can't really see the rings, but generally that's the difference between the two.
0: And they're they're beautiful. They have a really kind of cool coloration. I know, Guy, you've seen them different kind of sheens. I've seen them kind of purple when I was fishing them up in Maine. If you put them on the ice, they got almost a purple sheen. Yeah, I usually see them with more of like a green or a yellow sheen to them. These, compared to like a bluegill or some of the other kind of true sunfishes, which are more round like a plate, I think these guys kind of look like a spade. They got that kind of narrow head and the big symmetrical dorsal fin and anal fin and then the tail that kind of comes out.
1: You're right on with that spade shape. And then they also got this just really big, prominent yellow eye. And it's sort of, they, they got this face that's very concave relative to your other sunfish that you might see so it really stands out and it's pretty distinct
0: yeah and i guess looking at you can learn a lot by looking at the face of a fish and if you think about a bluegill or some other kind of sunfish with that small mouth and they're probably picking out bugs from the water these fish actually start on smaller prey like aquatic insects but then they're going to move into eating some larger prey like some other fish and you can really tell by their mouth that that is the case in terms of the name of this fish, I mean they've got some different common names. You've got crappie. They're also called calico calico bass, paper mouth. So if you kind of look at the, I guess the spotting would kind of relate to the calico piece. If you think about a calico cat or some other animals, and maybe that's where that one comes from. But paper mouth is kind of a neat descriptor because they really do have a a neat mouth that kind of comes out when you catch them, if they're getting prey, and it's really paper thin. And if you hook one of these fish, you can almost see like a little tear where you hook them. So you got to actually set the hook pretty gentle. It's almost just like a gentle pressure because they do have that really thin toothless mouth. They're they're easy to kind of lip if you want to actually pick these guys up.
1: Yeah, it really almost looks like a box kite is how I'd like to describe <laughs> that mouth shape. And you're, you're right on, you know, a lot of times when you run into these fish you're fishing in the same waters where you're going to find bluegill or largemouth bass fish that you really want to make sure you set the hook well and you, you bring in you can bring them in pretty hard whereas these fish you don't want to set it as hard for fear of ripping it right out of their mouths and you can't fight them nearly as hard you kind of got to bring them in gently yep. and gingerly lest you lose them yeah some other names that you i've heard i've heard speckled bass as well and then there's one that's actually fairly fresh to me you know I've, I've done a lot of work in the southeast but I was shocking this pond for this one. she said yeah you're gonna find out there you know a lot of largemouth bass a lot of bluegills, and then quite a few saccalay too and that really caught me off guard it's not often that you can sling a fish name right past me and i can't <laughs> figure out what it is but i'd never heard that one before apparently it's from louisiana that's this origin and it means sack of milk well, it comes from a Choctaw word, but it's been abbreviated. It's been co-opted by the Cajun culture to mean sack of milk. Uh,
0: huh. So, Is that related to like flesh color, I'm guessing? Kind of that white meat that they have? Hey, Charlotte, do you know? It's a false. It's actually, it's a folk etymology. So the original word, uh, the Choctaw word, Sockley, just means trout. But it happens to sound like French "sacalé," which means like milk bag or sack of milk. Uh, but they have, they have no relation to one another. The old milk bags. I don't think of them as that when I catch them, but... The old milk
1: bags like <laughs> they do in Canada. <laughs> I know that when you were up in Maine, Katrina, you used to catch these all the time. So I'm curious what techniques you would use.
0: Yeah, so we would ice fish them and we would fish them in the summer from a canoe. I think, if I'm remembering correctly, this was 15 years or or so ago, but we were using white tube jigs. So, just a little kind of rubber worm, maybe three quarters of an inch long, and just kind of having that below a bobber. So, slip bobbers great thing to use. Um, and then setting it over certain depths, depending what time of year it was. I mean, these guys will key into structure. There was lily pads to kind of fishing on the edge of those. I think, um, you know, as they move a little bit deeper after spawning, they're keying into stuff like, you know, humps underwater or points. But yeah, they'll kind of come in when they're going to spawn, depending on the timing, maybe May or June and kind of come into those more shallow bays. But I think the the white tube jig is mostly what what we were using.
1: Okay. And so you're just kind of leaving it under the body. You're not actually having to work the jig at all, then. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think jigging it every once in a while, just making a little movement. And when you find the crappie, how quick is
1: the action? Because I know in my experience catching crappie, I usually just, I'm not using jigs. I'm not a big jig kind of person. And so I just kind of run into them incidentally and I'll catch one here or there while targeting bass. But I hear that a lot of people, when they go out and they really target them, they can just catch a whole mess. So I'm curious what it's like when the bite's really going off.
0: Yeah, I got a picture as my background here, you can't see, but it's a whole bunch of crappie on the ice. And yeah, I mean, we, you could catch a couple at a time. I know when we were canoeing, we'd have two or three people in the boat with a couple of different lines going out. And yeah, once you get into kind of where they've congregated, um, the action was pretty pretty quick. Were were the crappie that
1: you're catching up there in Maine, were those black or white? They were black. Okay, okay.
0: They were introduced to Maine, I think, in the 1920s, and they've kind of made their way around the state. So in the lake we were fishing in in particular, I don't think there were any other kind of panfish species that you might expect some other places. So when, when we get into them, we get into them pretty good. So, I mean, this kind
1: of gets back to the ID thing that we were talking about is sometimes it can be hard just looking at the pigmentation to tell whether you've got a white crappie or a black crappie you can tell if it's got those bars if it has those it's definitely white but if it doesn't it could potentially be either and this is where what's called moristics comes in and this is counts of various body parts so think about it like on a human it would be counting your various fingers now most of us have five some people can have six or more so One of the best ways to distinguish a black crappie from a white crappie is to count the dorsal fin spines. Now, this is just the hard spines and not the soft rays on the second part of the dorsal fin. But black crappie will have either seven or eight of these hard spines, whereas white crappie will only have five or six. And so that's kind of a foolproof way to make sure that you know what species you have. They also vary in their habitats. You Generally, black crappie you find in clearer water, slow-moving rivers and and ponds, whereas white crappie are more tolerant of more turbid water. (laughs) So that's something.
0: There you go. And, I mean, this fish has a pretty big range between the two species. I mean, the white crappie's native range is like... Great Lakes, Hudson Bay, Mississippi River Basins, you know, New York, Southern Ontario, westward to South Dakota, and southward to Texas. Um, And then black crappie, it's Virginia to Florida, along the Atlantic coast, southwest along the Gulf of Mexico, from the western panhandle of Florida across Texas. But they have been introduced in a lot of places. So it is good to know how to ID. It's always good to know how to ID a fish when you catch it. And if you got two kind of similar looking in species like this. Um, those are some good tips to look at those mystics.
1: I was actually reading in the, one of the field guides, I think it was the Peterson guide, trying to figure out what the native ranges on these things were. And there's kind of a little asterisk next to most of them saying like, you know, these fish have been moved around so much from so early on that actually trying to identify what constitutes the native ranges darn near impossible at this point. So there's some places where, you know, we know that they didn't exist. They're like out in California and stuff like that, but there's lots of places that are sort of adjacent to what would be their native range where it's unclear if uh, they ever existed there naturally or if they were just uh, transplanted. Yeah.
0: But yeah, it was great, great fishing there. I remember fishing in Maine. It was a lot of the non-native species and this is just a really kind of tasty one that's really good to eat and get a, a kind of a big pile of and do a big fish fry at the end of the day. Nice fresh fish.
1: So they're, they're sort of the quintessential pan fish. But of course, a fillet doesn't take up a whole pan once you actually get the meat off of it. So how many of these does it really take to make a meal to satiate the appetite of an adult woman like you?
0: I mean, it takes a lot to satiate the appetite with crappies and panfish for me. I'd probably eat, um, I don't know, five or six in a sitting. Okay. You're not going to be catching huge ones all the time, but there are some pretty big fish that have been caught. I think for a black crappie, what I was reading, the biggest documented individual weighed 5 pounds, 7.68 ounces. That was caught in Tennessee in 2018, that was a black crappie, and I, I actually looked up some common household items that weigh five pounds just for context, so like a dumbbell, a laptop, a pack of printer paper. A dumbbell. A t- <laughs> a, <laughs> a,
1: a, so yeah, five-pound weight. <laughs>
0: yeah, a two-slice toaster, a bag of carrots, five footballs, a small cat, or 20 cups of flour, so they can actually get pretty sizable.
1: Do you have any idea how long it was? Because I... I I have a tough time imagining weight and I appreciate, you know, the various items there. But yeah. like
0: t- I want to say 20, maybe 21 inches, 22. I didn't write the length the down.
1: That's massive. I think the largest bass that I've ever caught is somewhere on the order of like 20, 21 inches, which isn't huge for a bass. But to think about a crappie reaching that size, you know, they're, they're big for sunfish. They're big as far as sunfish go. But 21 inches, that's that's huge.
0: Yeah. And I think the white crappie, the biggest one, was a little bit less weight, just a few ounces. I was reading about the former world record crappie before that one. It actually had become a celebrity. The guy who caught it, um, whose name was John Hortzman, he donated it to Bass Pro Shop in Missouri. So it lived in their like, 11,000-gallon tank for a number of years, and people called it Pat. So, Guy, I know you've got your life list going of fish, and I have not caught a white crappie, but have you caught both of these species?
1: So, mm-hmm. back when I was in high school and I started making this list, I was I was 14 years old. I was trying to think back of all the fish that I'd caught and kind of just using little dummy variables, like putting in a one if I had known that I'd caught that species just so I could kind of fill it out. And so I put down both white and black crappie because in my mind, I'd sort of, I, I thought I had them both. And then as I got older, I just kept catching black crappie, black crappie, black crappie. And I looked back at the older pictures I had, and every one that I found was a black crappie. So I had this asterisk next to the white crappie just saying, you know, I think I caught it. But since I've made this list, I haven't actually run into it. And I have no proof that I've ever caught a white crappie. And, you know, th- this bothers me. This really <laughs> bothers me. And unfortunately, so my, my grandpa, he passed away uh, about a year ago. And uh, he lived down in Texas, and we used to go fishing in this lake in the Paladuro Canyon, which the Paladuro Canyon, that's the United States' second grandest canyon, in case you didn't know, it's a fun little <laughs> tribute fact. Uh, and we'd catch crappie on the fourth of July. And so my grandpa passed away. And my parents were going through pictures, and they sent me this one of me and him, and we're right in front of us is this pile of about 40 very distinctly white crappie. And so I immediately just started texting my parents. Hey, do you remember? Did I reel in any of those fish? Did I catch any of them? Yeah, you caught quite a few of them. Like, yes. I'm about four years old at the time. And so I got super excited just because I can get rid of this little note on my spreadsheet that says, you may not have caught a white crappie because I did when I was little, even if I don't remember it. That said, I still want to make sure I go out and get another one. It'd be nice to actually have the memory of doing it.
0: Where are you going to try to go get one?
1: I don't have any specific plans yet. It's not a high priority. I've ever I've had this relief of I actually having it, but what one of these days I'll get one.
0: I hope you do. That's awesome. You better back yeah. up your spreadsheet too. That'd be a disaster to lose that thing.
1: Yeah, it would. It also bothers me a little because at one point I caught a crappie, <laughs> and I don't recall it was out of a pretty pretty turbid river, pretty, pretty turbid stream, and I think I just crappie? called it black crappie and threw it back. I didn't have any pictures of it ah so I, I
0: don't know oh so it might have been a white crappie
1: it may have been a white crappie again that's one oh, of those things you gotta
0: document that it's gonna haunt
1: me until i actually do get one so may, maybe one of these days here may i go out and i uh like i say they, they got both here in north carolina go out and look for one
0: well we wish you luck hope you get
1: yeah. one <laughs> so what one of the black crappie i caught one of the most recent ones the last one i ate I was fishing up around D.C., around Lock five of the uh, Chesapeake and Ohio Canal, and I pulled one out. I was fishing for carp to try and use as bait. Actually caught both, took them both home for dinner. The crappie tasted much better, but I didn't really know what I was doing. So I was wondering if you could, you you have much more experience cooking these than I do. H- how do you like to prepare the crappie?
0: So it's the same way that we prepare much of the food we eat. Um, you basically take your filet. Take the skin off and then you're going to dip it in egg. So just take an egg, beat it up in a little bowl, dip the filet in both sides, put a little seasoned salt on and then um, crush some saltine crackers and then dip that filet into those both sides and then fry it in a cast iron pan in oil and it'll be done pretty quick. And that's how you eat them, at least in our household. They're delicious. Nice. How about you? Yeah, I, I did something
1: similar. I think just kind of like a, a worse version of what you just described where I just kind of <laughs> took it and found some, like, cornmeal or flour and put a bunch of Tony Sacheres in there and just mixed it around, flopped it in, put in some oil. Uh, it tasted really good. It tasted a whole lot better than the carp, I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah. And what, I'll tell you one thing, too, that I noticed when I was filleting it. Like, you know, you, you look at the fish and it's pretty and whatnot, but, th- you know, I, I've heard stories of people who have gone out and— uh they, they've actually tanned the skin of fish to preserve it. And that's nothing that, I've, that's never really appealed to me. I don't why anyone would do that with fish skin until I was working on this black crappie and flaying it and cutting it up. That skin, that pattern on it, that they got the iridescence and everything, it is just so beautiful. And I'll tell you, it would look great on a pair of pants or jacket. You got all these women up there in New Jersey, they're wearing the leopard print, the cheetah print. I tell you, you gotta get rid of that. In any clothing manufacturer, you got to go out there and start doing black crappie print because it would sell. It'd Agreed. Look good at least. It would attract was, people like me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you should get a pair of those pants. Um, yeah. Oh, I if there feel... was black
1: crappie print out, I would have a full wardrobe of that. I'll tell you.
0: We got to make that happen. Somebody make the prints. <laughs> I always feel kind of bad killing such a beautiful animal to eat it and that's just something different about fish right like you're catching these they're they're quite lovely and fish so you feel just better have...
1: about killing ugly fish
0: no i don't feel good about killing anything but it's just fish are they really are beautiful and i don't think a lot of people really get a good look at fish right so i mean if you're not a fisherman you're not seeing them in their really vibrant colors when they're alive they really are quite amazing but yeah they're also quite tasty. And up here in Alaska, I really miss fishing for panfish and, and crappies. And the closest thing we have taste-wise, I think, is the kelp greenling, which is a marine species. And hopefully we can talk about that someday, but very similar kind of white filet and, and texture.
1: So also, when I, was, I was watching some videos of some people filleting them back when I was trying to make sure I was doing it right and everything. And you know, there's the kind of the traditional filet where you get in behind the head, you basically take it off, take the skin off, cut the rib cage out and That's fine. I saw some guy did it really kind of differently. He was doing it specifically on small crappie, where he kind of would just cut in on both sides of the dorsal and anal fin and just basically rip those off. And then he kind of cut the head off and take the guts out, scale it and score it. So he basically had like a two sided sort of fillet with the skin left on and the tail left on because he said he liked to nibble on the tail. So that that just seemed like a different way that next time I'm cooking up a crappie, if it's a smaller sized one, you know, less than, I don't know, 12 inches or so, that's how I'm going to try cooking it up.
0: Yeah, I think with, yeah, how we did, I think is kind of that cut behind the head and then along the back area on either side of that dorsal fin. And then once you get past the guts, you can kind of cut all the way through and get that tail. But man, that, leaving that tail on, we actually eat hooligan with the tail on. And once you fry them, it kind of tastes like a potato chip. Um, and our kids really like that. So that's a, actually a pretty good idea with the crappie. They got a big tail.
1: Yeah, they do. And, and full of beautiful white spots. Whereas the rest of the body is covered in awesome irregular shaped black spots, the <laughs> tail has a lot of regular shaped white spots.
0: It almost looks like a grayling fin and tail if you look at it just a little bit with those spots on that that dorsal fin. In some ways, yeah, I can see that. Do you know kind of how these fish um, compare popularity wise to some of the sunfish like bluegill? I know we've talked about bluegill and that being a really good introductory fish. It seems like this fish is as well, just in terms of like kind of the hooking into the mouth and handling. But what are your thoughts on that?
1: It's definitely a very popular fish. We'll get that right off the bat. You're, you're right there. I, I do think it's a more select group of people who target them, uh, unlike bluegill, that you can just kind of run into in a lot of places. I feel like you need to be targeting crappie more. A lot of people who fish for them, they prefer to do so out of the boat, or at least, or like in your case, when you're ice fishing, getting out it's sort of deeper. on the open yep. water. Yeah, you need to be in some deeper water. So it's harder to fish for them from the shore. That Again, that isn't to say that it can't be done, but it's harder to find these big aggregations of them, I feel like. So they're, they're certainly- they're slightly
0: less accessible. A little bit less bluegill. accessible,
1: yep. but- among people who have boats, they're a very popular sport fish and food fish.
0: There's a lot of fishing opportunities in terms of when you can fish for them. They do come into spawn, they spawn in kind of congregations. So I think folks like to catch them um, when they're coming into that kind of congregated situation so you can actually catch quite a few. But yeah, I think it's pretty pretty flexible in terms of when you can actually get them, seasonality-wise.
1: I don't, I mean, it's going to vary by latitude and other factors, but I think it's generally when the water's getting somewhere like 60 to 68 degrees. Now I know that's a pretty wide range, but I think down here in like North Carolina, they have a pretty wide spawning season as some like from March through May. So we're probably around the tail end of it right now.
0: I think, yeah, I think more Northern it's maybe May and June. So yeah, really with a fish like this, with a wide range um, or yeah, wide distribution, you really do have to kind of watch the the temperature, because it is going to vary by state. And you can probably check your state regs or your state fishing game agency for some tips on actual timing, depending where you're located, if you're in the south or if you're in the north. Cool. Well, we hope you all enjoy all the fish and get out there and check out the crappie fishing. Hit that turbid water. Thanks for listening to Fish of the Week. My name is Katrina Liebich and my co-host is Guy Eero. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. Produced and story edited by Charlotte Moore Lambert. Production management by Gabriella Montaquin. Post-production by Garrett Tiedemann. Fish of the Week is a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region Office of External Affairs. We honor, thank, and celebrate the whole community, individual tribes, states, our sister agencies, fish enthusiasts, scientists, and others who have elevated our understanding and love as people and professionals of all the fish.